started. Welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any financial or investment decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Dale Schaefer, and here's another great episode starting now. Let's go. Welcome to episode 36, Financial Purpose Podcast, coming to you from sunny Scottsdale, Arizona, not rained out, not freezing, uh, and actually it's not even sunny. It's currently cloudy, but it is... uh, it is the week when, uh, or one of the weeks when we have just a high influx of activity and a high influx of people here. It is the week of uh, what is called the WM Open. You may know it as the Waste Management Open. You may know it as the Wasted Management Open. If you've ever been out there, you'll know what I mean by that. Uh, you might know it as the Phoenix Open, but nevertheless, that is the week. And so there's a lot going on, but we're not even going to talk about that or the weather today, uh, I want to talk in this particular episode about Bitcoin. And this is going to kind of follow a blog post that I wrote about two weeks ago, two weeks ago, which I have been trying to get this podcast uh, out and uh, into your ears. But alas, here we are. So January 21st, I published a uh, blog post on lifemoveswealth.com called Bitcoin ETFs, a guide for investors. So this is going to follow that fairly closely. The only difference is uh, you get to hear my extra opinions and riffing on the podcast than what is on the blog post. And I'm feeling a little punchy today, folks, so you might get a little extra extra of my opinion. But uh, my opinion is not going to be negative on on Bitcoin, but it might, uh, it might cross into uh, a healthy dose of skepticism in a couple other places. So... Uh, basically the gist is that there are now 11 Bitcoin ETFs that have been approved by the SEC for trading. Uh, one of them has been trading for about 10 years now. That is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, ticker GBTC. Uh, and, uh, there are 10 others that were just approved and started trading on January 11th. So just about three weeks ago. And uh, this is a huge development for crypto trading. These ETFs will provide uh, greater access to average investors. It's still a highly volatile uh, asset class, if we want to call it that. I think it technically should be called an asset class at this point. And um, it, although is potentially rewarding, and uh, particularly Bitcoin, if you followed the Bitcoin pricing at all, um, it is quite volatile, but it also has been rewarding. And, uh, you know, these ETFs, the nice thing about them is that you can hold them in traditional brokerage accounts. You don't have to go get a crypto wallet anymore. Um, you don't have to worry about some of the crypto fraud issues that were uh, prevalent in 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Uh, mostly, you know, that kind of early stage of crypto trading, you had to trust that somebody else was putting shares of crypto into your coin wallet and whether or not they were real shares. There's a lot of documentaries on this. So uh, having ETFs that are marketable on U.S. listed exchanges by existing money managers who manage other assets and mutual funds and ETFs uh, should help. But also 
you know, it gives investors a way to get crypto access without getting into, pardon my language, but this is what these are called, uh, a lot of the speculative shit coins uh, that came out in, uh, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021. And uh, I mean, these were basically things where if I had Cheeto dust on my fingers and I was high in my living room and me and a couple of my buddies got together and we named our coin, you know, uh, yellow dog or high moon or whatever we wanted to call it. And we could launch a cryptocurrency uh, and people could buy it and we could make a lot of money and then we could pump and dump it away and uh, and people would lose a lot of money. So uh, a lot of that, you know, shitcoin activity is gone out of the market, which is fabulous uh, because that was just absolutely insane to to try to pay attention to and to shake your head out and, and know that there are clients who wanted, you know, to get into that. And there's a lot of FOMO with missing out on things like, you know, the Shiba Inu coin and uh, and Dogecoin and Cardano and and all these other things that really just um, have been unfortunate for a lot of people to to lose a lot of money on. But uh, and by the way, if you want a reminder of what it was like in the heyday of that, you know, 2020, 2021, especially the early part of 2021, uh, do please go watch the movie Dumb Money if you haven't yet watched it. Uh, you can definitely pick it up on Netflix. You can pick it up on Amazon Prime. I watched it on a flight back in December. Uh, kind of bummed because I paid a decent amount of money to rent it on Amazon Prime. And now it's just free on Netflix. So there you go. You're welcome. You get the benefit of of waiting. And so uh, cinematically, it's it's like the big short. But uh, it'll give you a real good reminder of what the stock market was like then with the uh, with the GameStop and the AMCs and NFTs and the Bored Apes and the the SPACs, you know, where you had a shell company that was taking not profitable companies public and then investors lost, you know, I don't know, an average of about 81% on those investments. And, and that's not a made up number. Please look that up. And uh, there's a lot of celebrities that got behind some of this stuff that, uh, that have now been in trouble for... <laughs> Uh, for, you know, profiting off from promoting these things that um, just really weren't healthy for people. And then finally, the other issue that a lot of people dealt with, or some people at least, was uh, non-recoverable crypto wallets due to uh, either A, somebody not putting the shares in there and all the money goes in, so it was a fraud, and B, all the speculation, and then C, of course, just being locked out of your coin wallet. You forgot your password, uh, you couldn't get into it, and then that's just wealth, uh, or at least money that's gone and non-recoverable. So, um, hopefully these ETFs curb a lot of that activity and give people access to this asset class, because I really don't think it's going away. This is, uh, you know, we still have yet to have it be a true use case in the, in the currency type sense where you can actually have a stable enough value where you can buy something today and know what you actually paid for it tomorrow. Um, but we'll see. But uh, as I said, this the, what I'm going to go on and say th for the rest of this episode does follow the blog post episode, which you can read at lifemoveswealth.com. Go into the blog section and look for the Bitcoin ETFs and a guide for investors. And uh, now I've been watching the price of Bitcoin since about 2017. Uh, I had a friend who was uh, very, very heavily into crypto currency as an investor. He, uh, I think, originally got into uh, Bitcoin when it was trading in the 300s or so. And by the time I met him, he 
he told me that I was, you know, frankly stupid if I was not investing in this stuff. And at that point, I think the spot price for a Bitcoin was around, I don't know, in the 700s or so. And I was working at a much larger firm then. And, uh, you know, that was not something that we were able to do on their platform. The whole, you know, disclosure rules around having a coin wallet and how do you even have a coin wallet? And, and I didn't quite get it. And I'm looking at this going, why would I put money into that, which is a speculative asset that has no backing, no basis, nothing underneath it. Nobody really gets it. When I can put a decent amount of money into things that I can know, I can read a balance sheet. Uh, I can invest in common stocks. I can invest in bonds. I can, I can move money throughout the capital markets where I know that there's something of value tangibly behind it. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny because if you think about this and here's where I said, I'm, I'm feeling a little punchy, so you might get it. It's really not that different. The way that I felt about crypto and Bitcoin at that point, not that different than the $20 bill you might have in your wallet. Uh, it's really backed by nothing other than the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which, by the way, is the same U.S. government that ran a half a trillion dollar deficit in their first fiscal quarter alone. And I'll tell you what, if you trust those people with your money, I've got some oceanfront property right here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I would love to sell you pretty cheap too. Um, call me. We'll, we'll talk about it. But, you know, the thing is, um, I, I was at a conference earlier today and, uh, and there was an example of what's called the principal agent problem. Principal agent problem. And it's basically where you have a principal, which in the case of the the U.S. government, the principals are going to be us, the taxpayers, who are giving our tax dollars to the agent, which is the U.S. government, and we're expecting them uh, to do something positive on our behalf. And this is no different than uh, investing. This is no different than, um, you know, anything that you're giving money to, your church, any charity, you're, you're the principal, you're giving a resource and you're expecting the agent to do something positive with that resource. But there tends to be a conflict of interest and priorities. And in the case of the government, the conflict is we expect fiscal responsibility with our tax dollars. And instead, the agent is more worried about their electability, which means that we don't always get the fiscal responsibility. We get them spending money on whatever might appease the better majority of their electorate or at least who they assume is going to be their electorate. So anyway, I digress. But the principal agent problem is actually a really good thing to think about when we're talking about crypto, because that's been um, part of the the success story. And it's been part of the, the, sh the, the shameful story that has come out of these kinds of assets. And so with any other investment, Careful consideration is crucial. Know what you're buying, know who is helping you do it, all of that fun stuff. Cryptocurrency is still a very tricky asset class for many investors. And uh, especially when you're trying to decide if you should own it, when you should buy it, and how much to invest. And uh, and a lot of that's because of the price volatility uh, over the, the past couple of years. And I'll go into that here in a couple of minutes. But let me just, let me cut to the chase because I said, uh, you know, if and when and how much you should buy. And I recorded a version of this early this morning before the caffeine set in, and it was a little more vanilla than what I'm about to say now. And I know that, you know, if you're listening to this podcast or you're reading the blog post, you want to know what to do. You don't really want just more platitudes of an overly compliance approved nuance, you know, 
communication that says a whole lot of words but tells you nothing at all, which uh, I did hear a fair bit of in the uh, conference that I went to today. And it's really frustrating to be asked a, a direct question and uh, and go on a dancing, you know, I, I can't really answer that the way that you want me to answer it in a yes or no fashion. Uh, so I'm just going to answer the question that has nothing to do with uh, the question that you actually asked me. So here's the deal. Um, you want to know what to do if, if and when and how much you're going to buy if you're going to invest in cryptocurrency. Now, all through this podcast, I want to be very clear. I am not talking about trading cryptocurrency. I really have no interest in watching crypto today and then waiting for a bounce and then trying to get up on the bounce and then trying to sell it and arbitrage. That I don't care about that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about investing. I'm talking about asset allocation. I'm talking about long-term holding on an investment class or an asset class that's not really going to go anywhere. Um, and what I mean by that is it's not going away, but it continues to become more and more and more interesting and more available for a lot of people to very strongly consider. So here's some guidelines that you might want to work with as far as how much you might want to consider. If you are a conservative investor, and I'm cutting right to the chase here, um, this probably is not an asset class that's right for you. The price volatility is too wild for conservative people to really, really be able to wrap their arms around. Maybe, just maybe, if you have to have some and you're a conservative investor, you might look at maybe, maybe 1% of your investments, maybe, maybe 2%. But outside of that, the price volatility is going to swing way too much. You're not going to like it, and I don't recommend it. Uh, if you are a moderate investor, maybe that percentage looks somewhere like 2 to maybe 5%, depending on how risky you're feeling. Uh, the thing with risk, which we're going to talk about, uh, actually, that's the very first consideration that we're going to talk about. Uh, risk does fluctuate, and so that's an important part of it, and some of that will depend on price, and some of it will depend on how you're feeling about the world and the economy and your finances and all of that. So maybe two to 5% of your portfolio, no different than any other stock holding or any uh, specific sector ETF or any kind of special interest investment, you know, single stock, a single stock, that kind of thing, two to 5%. That's about right. If you're aggressive investor and by aggressive, I mean, you know, you're looking at 80, 90% of your portfolios in stocks anyway, maybe this is a five to 7% holding uh, consider maybe having 10% as the maximum. But if you're still like in the YOLO phase of investing, uh, do whatever you want, go for it. But uh, but I would say legitimately from an asset allocation and a, an appropriate targeting standpoint, five to 7% really is about right, 10% at the max. And the thing about the price swings here, it's all based on scarcity, especially when we're talking about Bitcoin, because there is a finite number that can never be minted uh, they haven't all been minted yet, but the thing is, is that when more people want it, when there's a lot of FOMO, the price is going to increase. It's just basic supply and demand economics. Uh, and when there's less FOMO, the price is going to decrease. And that's what we've seen happen over the past couple of years. So now that I've said that, please keep listening. You got your answer right at the start of this, but I'm going to keep going here. Let's break down some of the key factors. And there's really three or four that I want to identify very particularly here. And these are things that you want to keep in mind when deciding how much crypto exposure is right for your investment portfolio. Now, I gave you percentages. 
But, you know, let's actually talk about how I, how I came up with those percentages or how you might want to consider exactly where in that range is right for you. So number one is understanding your risk tolerance. And the thing, as I said a couple of minutes ago about risk tolerance is that it does fluctuate. And I saw risk tolerances move a lot between 2020 and 2023. So in 2020 and 2021, risk tolerances were high. People wanted the risk. They wanted, you know, to, to go to the moon with this investment or that investment. They were very speculative. They were doing, you know, leverage strategies. They were, they were doing, um, you know, options trading and things like that. But which, by the way, some of those option strategies and some of the, the double and triple leverage strategies, I had to have a license to do those things as a, as an advisor, I had to study for months. I had to sit a two, three, four, six hour exam and I had to pass that exam. And then I have to do com continuing education to keep that license. And these people are just opening a Robinhood account or a Coinbase account. And they're just like YOLOing their life away into these, you know, weird strategies, Condor, Double Eagle, you know, stuff that they really don't understand. Sounds super sexy can possibly make a lot of money, but oh my God, it can also lose a whole lot of money. So anyway, then we get to 2022 and all of a sudden inflation kicks up like crazy. Why? Well, the Federal Reserve won't actually admit this, but it's because between them and the U.S. Treasury and the United States uh, Congress and two presidential administrations put out a ton of of stimulus into the economy and that stimulus went straight into risk assets and housing and boats and all sorts of stupid stuff. And, um, and then that all came back and, uh, and we felt that all the way through this time last year, it was around April of last year until the new speculative vehicle took off, which by the way, is a little thing we like to call AI, which is not new. This is like 50, 60 year old technology. And I know if you're listening to this, you think I'm off my rocker. I'm sitting on a, on a drum throw and it's not a rocker and I'm not off that because I'm still sitting here. But, uh, but yeah, AI, you know, kicked off and it's, you know, the new thing. And so anyway, that's the story. But 2022, when inflation kicked up, the stock market dropped like a rock. Uh, everybody got out of uh, crypto bottoms and NFTs became worthless and SPACs went belly up. And all of that started to unwind. Uh, people got much more conservative, right? And uh, and so that's going to move around. And in the past few years, we've seen that volatility really hit Bitcoin. As I said, when I when I was first looking at it, it was trading in the 700s. I watched it go up to 2,500, and then I was like, oh, I should have got in. And then I watched it go up to 10 grand, and I was like, this is unbelievable. What? Why is this trading so much? And then I saw it go up to 20 grand, and I was like, this is absolutely bonkers there's no what's what's the what's the what's the basis for this trading and then i saw it drop back to seven thousand, and i went there you go there's no basis and then as we know in 2021 it was uh in the fifty thousand dollar range and it it traded uh i think in the 56 57 thousand 58 somewhere in there and i remember uh it was on a saturday i was taking leaves out of our swimming pool and yes we do have leaves that fall right here in Arizona, right into the swimming pools. And uh, and I had a CNBC alert on my phone that Bitcoin dropped in half and went down to $31,000 on a Saturday, <laughs> no less. And uh, and I just laughed. I laughed at it. I was like, this is insane. Like, 
how do we call this a quote unquote investment when it can't even hold the price and it can just drop 50% at the drop of a dime? Why? For the same reason that it went up to 60,000. There, there's no reason other than scarcity, other than FOMO, other than, you know, things happen where maybe it's going to be illegal. Maybe, you know, people started to understand that their, uh, that their gains meant that they actually did have to pay taxes when you opened a a brokerage account, like there's this thing that happens, you know, when you buy and sell investments, you know, so quickly and you're trying to, to arbitrage, you know, cause you just learned that word looking it up or you watch the TikTok video or something. And so, um, yeah, it's been high price volatility. And in fact, um, it's, uh, trading somewhere around, um, I looked it up this morning. I haven't looked it up since, but it was something like, uh, right at 42,000, let's call it 600. Uh, that price, by the way, is down about eight and a half, eight point six percent since these ETFs started trading on January 11th, and uh, the the ETFs they are down uh, at about currently a range of I'm seeing seven point four to like nine. Uh, that that's the range that they're down from their launch price. And in fact, when I wrote the blog post. Uh, they were at that time down an average of about 10% from their launch price. And they actually bottomed a couple of days later on January 23rd. Now I'm going to say that they bottomed. I don't know that it's the bottom, but it was certainly a bottom. Uh, and that bottom was an average of about 16%. So if you bought it on day one, because you were excited about it, you instantly went down within the matter of two weeks, 16%. That's crazy. That's not a fun investment. Um, and then you're you're kind of watching it come up. You know, it bounced a bit off that bottom, and now they drop back down. And today they were down an average of about uh, 1.3% each or somewhere in that range. So there's still a fair bit of, of price volatility. And so um, you, you have to understand how much risk you're willing to take. And that's where I said, you know, right at the start, whether you're a conservative or a moderate or even an aggressive investor, if we're and and there's a lot of people who are in between all of those, and you might slide all across that risk continuum based on what's happening in the markets and your personal finance in the economy or what you think is going to happen uh, in the economy and all of that. And uh, and so that price volatility makes up a huge difference. And the more that you weight your portfolio. With, with a very volatile asset, the more you're going to see your asset values move. And if you're a younger investor with, with potentially a longer time horizon, maybe that's okay. If you're you know a, an older investor and you're in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, that may not fly. You may not be comfortable with that unless you have a much, much larger portfolio and, and 1% or 2% isn't going to break you. So you want to know your risk tolerance, and that's going to be the probably most important part of deciding this. The second thing is just with like with any other investment, you need to have an investment thesis and you need to clarify your investment goals before you make the investment. So, you know, we have a buy sell discipline, which means that if we're going to buy an investment, we need to have a really good understanding of what it is, what it is that we expect that investment to do, what kind of expected return we're targeting. And how is it going to fit into the broader scope of our portfolio? And then the same thing, we have a sell discipline. If we're going to sell an investment, do we have a target price? What will happen to the rest of the portfolio if we sell it? Why do we want to sell it? What's the criteria under which we would actually consider selling it? 
And are we selling it all? Are we selling a portion? Are we selling just for tax reasons? Are we selling because we need to rebalance because something's grown too large or too small? We need to have all of those things kind of written down and understood before we just go into something and, and hope for the best, crossing our fingers, maybe crossing our toes and just seeing what happens. And so a clear understanding of your objectives is another way to help determine what your allocation or percentage in your portfolio uh, crypto should represent. You know, are you looking for long-term appreciation? Are you looking for asset diversification or tax diversification? Or are you trying to hedge inflation uh, or trying to hedge the dollar if you're that sophisticated with, with true currency trading? Um, you, you really, you need to, you need to have a criteria in place before you go in. So that way, you know what it is that you're trying to accomplish and whether or not you've actually accomplished it at any point. Um, now on the cell discipline side, let me just add a little caveat to that. I'm a fan of just letting, letting the good things run. And I'm a fan of, there are some things that we buy that, uh, the market will punish unnecessarily at various times. And uh, so we need to know if uh, if the market goes against us, is that is that a, a broken investment thesis that we need to sell or is that an, a buying opportunity? When something goes on sale, if the market pushes a stock down, you know, 3%, 5%, 8%, 10%, 20%, is that a cut and run? Is that a cut losses? Uh, or is that a, this is on sale, it's Black Friday, let's buy something and uh, let's get more of it for, for less dollars. And, uh, and you kind of, you need to have a, a definition of that uh, so that we, again, you know what to do based on what happens. Number three is investing portfolio diversification. I just touched on this. Um, you don't want to overlook diversification. Uh, we refer to this in investment parlance as asset allocation, which is simply just investing across a variety of asset classes to help reduce risk and possibly boost returns. And the reason that happens is because sometimes certain things in the portfolio are going to do uh, an upward slope and certain things when, when some assets are going up, some are going to go sideways and some are going to go down. And that's okay because the opposite becomes true when the stock market, as an example, uh, is having a bad year. There are other things in the portfolio that help keep your total uh, account balance from just dropping as fast as the market does. And so that's where diversification can be helpful. The other way diversification can be helpful is in your tax uh, situation. And so, you know, there are three tax buckets that we want to have some assets in, right? There's the taxable. So this is going to be your traditional brokerage account. There's the tax deferred, which is going to work like an IRA or a 401k or, or some kind of, you know, it, retirement type account. And then there's tax-free money, which is going to be like a Roth uh, IRA or a Roth 401k or possibly cash balance, life insurance, something like that. So we, we want to make sure that we have not only asset diversification, but good tax diversification, because all of those things are, are key to building wealth. And if we don't pay attention to diversification in both our, our asset, uh, our pie chart, how that's divided, and then also where it lives in the tax uh, perspective, that's a great way to erode wealth, just ignoring it, right? Will erode your wealth. So in this case, as I said earlier, adding a small allocation to cryptocurrencies at the right amount based on your risk tolerance, um, you're going to gain exposure to a new, not really that new, but a newer 
uh, and faster growing asset class that's becoming more easily and readily adopted by more and more investors. And I expect to see more people actually start to adopt crypto in their portfolio as a legitimate part of their asset allocation, certainly over the next few years. And certainly now that we have these ETFs. Um, and, uh, you know, the last thing, the last factor here, I said I had three or four, I, I have four written down and then I'm going to give you a little bonus. But number four is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly biased to seeking professional guidance. And the reason why is because there are a lot of people, especially on social media, who are quick with their investment advice and, uh, and they're, they're willing to tell you how to, you know, YOLO yourself into your million dollars by age 23. And if you don't do it well, then you're missing out or you're stupid or something like that. And the problem with those people is they don't have a fiduciary duty. Uh, they don't have any letters behind their names. They don't have any, any sort of uh, credibility in my book, nor do they have any liability for any advice that they spew out on social media uh, because it doesn't matter if somebody takes that advice or somebody does it wrong, who cares? It's not their problem. They probably made money by making the recommendation to you. So my advice, seek out the help of a CFP. Uh, you know, th those are the letters you're going to see behind their name, certified financial planner. We're the people, CFPs, who actually do all of this from a professional wide looking basis into your financial life. Cause we're not just looking at whether or not it's going to be a good investment or whether or not it could potentially go up or how much we're looking at. If you add this to your portfolio in what type of account, how does this move your diversification? How does it move your tax implication? How does it move your cash flow? How does it move your net worth? How does it move your risk management? How does it move your investment strategy? How does it move your tax planning? How does it move your retirement planning, however you define that? And then what does it do to your estate planning? All of those things have to be considered. And somebody who's just going, yeah, I think you should just buy like this coin and like I've made a whole bunch of money on it. And I just like I've had it for like two weeks and oh my God, no, that's not the person that you want to listen to. So if you're unsure about the right amount of crypto exposure for your unique situation, which every one of us is unique. Uh, we all have different factors. We all have different networks. We all have different numbers that we're trying to get to, different goals, different reasons for the goals that we're trying to accomplish. You want to talk about this very seriously uh, with a very serious financial professional who has the ability, the credibility uh, to not only plug it into some software, but maybe even break out a, a, a pad of paper and do a full calculation for you. Um, and that's how you're going to know that you have somebody who knows what in the world they're talking about. Um as I said, any guidance that you get, especially when it comes to how much you should invest and where, um, that's got to be tailored to your specific circumstances. It's got to be tailored to your risk tolerance, which we started talking about. Um, and, and it's very, very important to your overall total financial planning uh, objectives, both for the near term and for the long term. So if you're considering working with a financial advisor, if you don't have one, or if you do have one, and either A, they're not able to talk about crypto because I had someone in my office just last week uh, who was interviewing me to uh, take over their their portfolios and their uh, financial planning. And the question of what do I think of crypto assets was on his list 
of things that were important to discuss and whether or not I was able to discuss them and, and uh, seriously look at them. So more and more people are, are really paying attention to this stuff. And you're going to want to work with somebody who knows how the assets work, have an idea of exactly how they might fit into your portfolio. And uh, if you go to lifemoveswealth.com and if you go to the blog section, uh, there is a post there uh, that will help you. Well, you know, I call it a know before you go guide. And this is a, you know, how do I find the right financial advisor for me? And uh, and the, the post is actually called How to Choose the Right Financial Advisor. This is something I published last fall because I had, um, you know, several people who were asking, how do I know who to look for? How do I know, you know, whether or not you're the right financial advisor, whether or not Dale is the right financial advisor? And I think that's an important question because it's one that you should ask. Just anybody with a fancy logo on their statement or, you know, they work for one of the big firms and and they wear suits and that kind of stuff, that doesn't mean that they know what they're doing. And so you want to make sure that you find somebody who uh, is not just ready to sell you something, but is ready to actually listen to what's important to you and help you structure a plan around that and build the right type of assets. So again, uh, how to choose the right financial advisor, go to that post on lifemoveswealth.com. You can always send an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com and I'll be happy to talk to you. And and the thing is, if I, if, if you're asking if I'm the right advisor for you, then we'll, we'll have a conversation and I will tell you if I am not the right advisor for you. And there's a very specific um, subset of reasons where I will very quickly know if I am not right for you or if we're just not a good match, if we don't share the same values, if you're expecting me to do things that actually aren't in uh, in line with the way that, number one, that I um, manage not only investment portfolios, but also financial plans. And, and really, if I think that you're wanting to do things that are potentially uh, financially harmful to you, then we may not be a good fit. But it's going to give you a series of questions that you can ask uh, an advisor. Uh, it, it lists out things that you can consider. And these are questions that any advisor you're talking to better be prepared to ask, or sorry, answer if you do ask them and they better have a good answer for them um, and it better not sound like just a, a load of bullshit to to sell you into working with them. And I think that's very important. So here's the bonus, best approach. Anytime that you're talking about, of course, cryptos or, or any other investment strategy is to navigate it with caution. Crypto assets, they've gained a lot of attention over the past couple of years and a lot of excitement. Um, more investment platforms have made it easier. These 11 uh, ETFs for Bitcoin are on most trading platforms. They're on both of the ones that I use here at Life Moves Wealth. And, um, and we're going to probably start seeing them pop up into uh, other account types. And, and I really don't think we're that far away from seeing them show up as a 401k option. So um, certainly as a self-directed 401k. So we'll see. Uh, you know, as the availability to these assets and this asset class expands to investors, it's very, very important to just pay attention to what you're buying, go in with caution, have a plan in place, know your risk tolerance, know when to go in, uh, and more importantly, know when to go out. Like I said, I'm not talking about trading here. I'm talking about building wealth the right way. So these investments, uh, crypto especially, they inherently carry a lot of risk. The value of your holdings can fluctuate a lot more than if invested in other asset classes, including common stocks, depending on what kind of common stocks you're buying. So 
Um, by considering those factors, I think you'll be able to more confidently navigate the landscape. I think you'll be able to have a conversation that is meaningful with a financial professional. And I think you'll be able to, uh, to have a very good, serious conversation about how, if, and when to add crypto assets to your investment allocation. So that's, that's really all I have to say about the subject. Again, uh, you know, drop a comment, like, subscribe, share this post. You know, if you're at a upcoming party and, uh, or sitting around with friends and you're talking about crypto assets, man, send them this podcast episode or, or send them the link to that uh, blog post. It could be very helpful. Or send an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com. I'm always happy to uh, hear your questions, uh, hop on a phone call, hop on a Zoom call. You know, again, no pressure. I've got nothing to sell you. It's, it's simply a conversation about what's in your best interest. And if we get along, well, then hot dog, maybe we can work together. And I'd be happy to, uh, to consider being your advisor. But let's just see what makes sense for you. And, um, and by all means, uh, find somebody who can help you have a serious and intelligent conversation about these and other assets before you just start dumping money in and, and uh, hoping to make a buck. So that's all I have for you today. And until next time, take care. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Learn more about your financial purpose at lifemoveswealth.com. 